This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we let Andrew back in the studio, fresh off vacation in Opus Tech Summit in Austin. We talk about what he was up to and the new NetApp Docker plugin. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi, and sitting next to me is Andrew Sullivan. No, Glenn Sizemore. Yes. All right, I got that one right. You got it right that time. Took me. It only took me two tries to get my own name right. Option B. Option B. That's right. And sitting across from me is Andrew Sullivan. Hi, Andrew. Back in the office. Back in the office. Where were you after all? Uh, well, first I was in Austin for OpenStack Summit, and uh, then I took a vacation. So a vacation, then a vacation. So, uh, you know, it's it's funny, right? Not that any of the conferences we do are vacations, but I do enjoy OpenStack Summit arguably the most out of all of them, uh, partially because I don't have booth duty like 12 hours a day, um, so I'm actually able to attend sessions, which is really, really nice, um, but also because Austin's a really cool city. Um, I, I ate way too many tacos and, and had way too much barbecue. Yeah. So. so that's what you should do while you're there. But yeah, I had a, I had a blast in Austin. Did um, you keep Austin weird? I have no, it's so much weirder than I could ever hope to attain that I think I like brought its weirdness down. I'm guessing you were in your element because there were probably a lot of beards there. There was a substantial number of beards. Did you yeah. wear your skinny pants? Uh, his beard doesn't count, though. Like, it's all one yeah, color. Sure. There's no beads in it. It doesn't count. Yeah. It, actually, so it's funny. We were kidding around at what our booth attire should be, and uh, eventually it was determined to be, you know, dark denim and the- Skinny the, jeans. The uh, uh, T-shirts, the NetApp Solid Fire T-shirts that we had. Are um, they flannel? But yes, we were kidding that we should have, like, skinny jeans with, you know, the, uh, 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 the bottoms cuffed up and- Flannel shirts and, yeah. A perfectly waxed mustache. For those of us that have mustaches. All right. So um, what else went on this past few weeks while you were gone? I know we, we released some sort of plug-in. Yeah. So uh, the week leading up to OpenStack Summit was exceptionally busy for uh, my team, right? Not only were we working on putting the final touches on all of our OpenStack Summit stuff. Um, you know, I did a presentation there. We had... Uh, theater demos, we had a booth, and all of that other stuff. But we also released the NetApp Docker Volume plugin. So NetApp now officially has a plugin for the Docker Volume paradigm. So you can go and download that off of GitHub. So it's github.com slash NetApp, which is pretty easy to remember. Uh, we published a blog post on our GitHub pages site, netapp.github.io. And we'll I'll, I'll include a link to that in the show notes. But yeah, so pretty neat stuff. Um, we've tested it with uh, Swarm and all that other stuff. So you can go in, you put the NetApp Docker Volume plugin onto your Docker host, uh, configure it so you point it at the storage virtual machine and all that other stuff. And at that point, when you say Docker Volume Create uh, using the NetApp driver, it will go out. It will create a NetApp volume if you're using uh, NAS, NFS, right? And then mount it to the host that the container is running on. Uh, if you are using a block protocol, it'll create the volume as well as the LUN and mount them onto that particular host. How does it how does it figure out which aggregate it's going to put the volume on? 
So right now, and this is uh, version one, you specify the aggregate that you want to use for default provisioning, mm. right? Okay. So now what's really interesting here is you can have more than one instance of the Docker volume plugin running at a time. So I could create three or four instances running and point them at different aggregates. The other side of that is there's nothing that says that once the volume's been created, you can't move it. Right, so I could go on yeah. to, onto the controller and I could say, I want to move this from you know, agar one to agar two or whatever that happens to be. Um, so the, that's, uh, it's a question that we've been asked a couple of times and there's actually, uh, there is a number of other projects that we have going on that are looking at doing some more intelligence, some more automation behind making those decisions. And while we could have included that in the current release, uh, part of it was simply, you know, hey, we wanted to we wanted to get out the first version. We wanted the public to have access to it. It is open source, so anybody can come in and contribute if they want to. Um, and there's a lot of complexity in those decision engines, and so it would have extended that in engineering time, right, in getting everything out. So, yeah. To to be clear, I I actually am a I support the way that the team's gone about this. I think you did it the correct way. I think if you started by let's go create a placement engine and figure out all of that jazz, you'd never get the plugin right. Yeah, it would yeah. it would be terrible from the start. Yeah. So, d does it leverage the assignment of aggregates to SVMs at all? Like you can assign an aggregate yeah, to SVM, SVM delegation. So, right now it's a, it's a manual process, right? So you whoever and our assumption was, you know, whoever is creating or, or, or configuring the NetApp Docker volume plugin is going to be the system administrator, not the user necessarily. Yeah. I, I mean, sure, they could be the same. But, yeah. you know, they're going to have some understanding of the underlying infrastructure so they can say, well, I want this aggregate or this aggregate or this aggregate. Um, and there is there are checks that, you know, hey, I can't provision to an aggregate that I don't have access to, for example, with uh, SVM delegation. Can the uh, the native uh, Docker volume plugin or the Docker volume driver, can it handle the 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 container m migration scenarios where, you know, we, we, we stop a container on one host and restart it on a new host and it dismounts and remounts that volume for us automatically. The same thing we were getting with Flocker before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's a couple of cool things to talk about here. So first of all, it is based off of the name. So if I have a volume that has a name that matches the pattern, it doesn't matter if it was created inside or outside of the NetApp Docker volume plugin, oh, it really? will ingest it. Right, so with the current version, uh, that is a, a static prefix. Uh, you could go in and change it. It's just a simple recompile. It's a very, very fast, you know, can build in a Docker container, all that other stuff. Uh, but we're working on putting that in a future version into a config file. So that way you can specify what that prefix happens to be. So one of the things I demoed at uh, uh, OpenStack Summit was doing exactly that, right? I'm gonna take a sender volume, or, or in this case, it was a manila volume, take a snapshot, flex clone that snapshot using the, the manila mechanisms, rename it, and then introduce it into uh, a Docker at that point. So that now I can, using Docker Swarm, I can now stand it up, I can access that from anywhere. The really cool thing, uh, or another one of those cool things, right? If it's NAS, if you're using NFS, you can have multiple hosts accessing it at the same time. So it's just like an NFS, regular old NFS here. And, and this is uh, NFS and iSCSI, what about Fiber Channel for the first release? So NFS and iSCSI only for the first release okay. uh, on cluster data on tap specifically. Uh, so we have uh, E-Series, which is going through uh, the process. It will be added in the very, very near future. And SolidFire also on the very close horizon. Uh, SolidFire was um, a little lagging a little bit behind for two reasons. One, they already have a Docker volume plugin that's out there. And two, the main guy was also involved in uh, OpenStack Summit. So he was a little distracted. Yep, yep, makes sense. Awesome, man. 
that's uh, that's exciting news. You know, I, the the uh, initially I, I know we partnered up with Flocker and the Cluster HQ guys, and and they really helped us kind of you know pave this road last year way ahead of you know Docker themselves when Docker wasn't really ready. But but uh, now that Docker's got their stuff together, it's it's exciting to see us plug in and participate in that ecosystem. Yeah, and I certainly don't want to take anything away from what the Cluster HQ guys have done or what we've done with them. They're still yeah, extremely sure. relevant. And for example, you know, I showed because uh, more because I could than anything, right? I showed using the NetApp Docker volume plugin inside of Magnum. But you can also use Flocker and their Cinder integration, right? Our our unified Cinder driver works with Flocker, right? And if you want to provision volumes leveraging that mechanism inside of there, you can absolutely do that. Um, they also have uh, the concept of storage profiles or, or, or a some some version of storage profiles, I should say, that you can define and provision storage based off of that, uh, which is something that our newest version of the Flocker integration has. Uh, last question for me, man, just because I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of primitives does the Docker volume support? Because I, I remember back when we, when we worked with Cluster HQ, you know, we were basically dealing with CRUD uh, and and some of the the more storage centric use cases around like cloning and replication were were, were futures. Um, did we get any of that stuff in in Docker volume proper, or or are we dealing with the same scenario of just create, update, delete, and we'll we'll iterate from there? Yeah, so it's the same same as before, right? So. Docker itself, the Docker volume plugin paradigm, only supports five API operations. So there's okay. create, delete, mount, unmount, and path are, okay. the, are the five that it supports. Uh, so everything beyond that, we have to handle basically externally. So one of the things that um, you know I I'm working on is producing collateral, so blog posts, et cetera, where we're showing how to do those types of things outside of the plugin. So very simple uh, API-based right, automation in order to go in and clone a particular Docker volume without having to you know, know anything beyond what already exists there. Right? So let me pull the credentials out of the uh, uh, NetApp Docker volume plugin configuration file. Right? Let me look at the Docker volumes. Let me find where it's at and just say, I want to clone this, this particular Docker volume. So uh, if you look at how others have done it, so EMC, for example, with their yeah. Rexray plugin, mm -hmm. they have a, a CLI-based plugin to do some of those additional operations as well. Is, is, does it seem like, you know, th this will tie into the, the interview we're getting ready to play, but, but you know, you just came back from OpenStack, uh, and there's a community that, that is all primed for this problem. You know, they, they've been, previously they lived the PaaS space before anyone really accepted what that meant. Um, so, so they're they're primed to to go tackle doing containers in production, you know, and, and figuring out how we're going to wrap these support systems around this. Does that community think that that's the right way to go about it, or are they looking for us to extend the Docker volume plugin so that those are just top level primitives? So, I will say that you know, for a long time, I've been saying that OpenStack uh, or applications which are already deployed into OpenStack are yeah. automatically a good fit for containers in a lot of cases. Right, because exactly what you said, they started off with this, you know, quote unquote, cloud native type paradigm. So it fits really well. They're used to the automation that goes into deploy a Nova instance, put all the stuff that I need from my application piece, right, whatever that SOA service oriented architecture component or microservice component is, and then join it in with the rest. 
And containers sort of remove a lot of those intermediate steps, right, that are typically handled by Puppet, Chef, Ansible, Salt, whatever those happen to be. Yeah. So that I can just go and, you know, either deploy a Nova instance that's running maybe CoreOS, right, and put a container on top of that. And within seconds, instead of minutes, I have a new instance up and running, or I can leverage something like Magnum and deploy Mesos or Kubernetes or Swarm and deploy into that. Um, but that being said, right, I think that in the future we will see a we will see more maturation of the Docker volume paradigm, so that it can encompass that it can do some of those additional data functions, right? So things like, you know, for NetApp specifically, right, we're interested in things like taking snapshots, being able to replicate, being able to clone, right? All of these other things that are important, um, as well as doing things like uh, I think it was it might have been Cluster HQ. Um, forgive me if, if I get this wrong, but uh, there's a thing called Devol, where you can treat your volumes almost like you would a Git repository. Hmm. So if, I'm, if I have a database, right, for example, and I take that volume, I can say, well, I want to, I want to create a Git commit, I'm using air quotes here, a, a commit of that particular volume at this point in time. Well, now I can develop something like a database upgrade upgrade script, right? I'm going to go in and I'm going to modify this table. Okay, that failed. Let me roll back the volume, reinstantiate the container. Now I'm good to go. I can try again and again and again and just keep refreshing that back. Okay, the first table is done. Let me commit the new state, right? Now I can branch it off. Now I can start updating the second table. So you Okay, I got you. I got you. Yeah, and and on the back end, you know, we've just got these storage or these storage primitives that that you know we all know. You know, in snapshots, snap restore, snap mirror, flex clone. You know, the the the, the cloning and array based block data protection systems that these uh, platforms utilize. I could see how they directly plug into those workflows, and it is just a matter of let's put this in terminology so that that app dev doesn't have to go and figure out what the heck our product does that he just looks at and goes, oh, I know what that does. Yeah, I want to use that. Yeah, yeah, it's making making storage a, a benefit as opposed to simply right capitalizing on the features of the storage array in order to improve the experience for the application or the developer or whatever that end consumer of storage is as opposed to, well, it's just dumb block storage, right? Even though it may not be, right? And historically, if you think that's the way it's been a lot of the time, right? Think back to, you know, the virtualization heyday when you and I, you know, worked together yeah. uh, the, the first time, right? We loved NetApp because it made our lives easier. As storage administrators, we could save time through deduplication, or I'm sorry, save money through deduplication, through the storage efficiency features and all that. Um, yeah, save time through NFS. Yeah, yeah. as well, right? Yep. Yeah. But from the perspective of the application administrator, it's just a place to store data. But it turns out that, well, they might have benefited from having access to something like a flex clone. Hey, and VMware, right, virtualization started to showcase some of that, the enabling those application administrators to do their own snapshots, to do their own rollbacks, arguably to do their own clones, depending on how sophisticated the automation was. Yeah. But bringing it down a layer and making it av available to a layer above that, right, which is sort of a confusing term, but, you know, bringing that functionality or, or exposing that functionality at the lower layer to the upper layers, I think, is something that uh, is continues to be more and more important. Well, especially like we've talked about this before, you know, when you're when you're thinking about containers, you know, and trying to wrap your head around what exactly that means, you know, really internalizing it as as a a complete application delivery system 
that that's just giving you everything you need to do so that that thing runs and works the first time when you ask for it to run and work. Um, being able to integrate all layer, layers of infrastructure into that system, not just, you know, let's let's make the compute and, and processing part of it's easy, but let's also encompass the network and, and storage, persistent storage in particular, uh, in, into this one platform, then, you know, as these application stacks go get built, you know, in this new CloudForce world, Platform 3, whatever buzzwords you want to use this week, you know, they're not, we're not doing the half step back. You know, we get to take a full step forward without losing any of the capabilities that we have today. Yeah, that, that's the goal, you know, and despite, you know, Docker is what, two and a half, maybe three years old now. So yeah. it's still a, still a young ecosystem. Things are evolving quickly. Um, I, I've said many times before, right, Docker has a two month release cycle. Which, you know, as somebody who came from, you know, enterprise development, enterprise administration, that's terrifyingly fast. Um, you know, ha as a former storage administrator where you get, you know, downtime, a maintenance window once a year if you're lucky, right? Having to upgrade a major component in your system every two months is scary. But at the same time, as a DevOps, with a DevOps perspective, right, where you're doing continuous deployments, right, continuous integration, that's not a big deal, right? No. You roll out the new infrastructure side by side. You deploy everything onto it. You do all your testing. You do all your validation. If it works, great. Flip the switch. You're done. Yeah, I mean that 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 that's the big takeaway from last week with Michael and Steve, right? You know, that's what the release pipeline's all about is is building up that DevOps process, up that 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 pipeline of tooling and people and skills that enables you to go from idea to product in in one repeatable, safe manner. Yeah, although it is funny, right? I uh, so internally, I have I, I do the Semaphore newsletter, right? Which uh, keeping in the nautical theme of Docker and all that other stuff. So, yeah. for anybody uh, inside of NetApp who's listening, you can always uh, subscribe to NG Docker or NG uh, DevOps and get that newsletter. But it is also open to customers, so you can send it to customers. It's on the field portal, all that other stuff. Just search for DevOps. Anyways, one of the links that's in there was talking about how you know this new. Uh, again, air quotes, new, because it's not really new, but this newly uh, rediscovered paradigm for applications is creating a new generation of technical debt, right? Where you still have to be careful. You still have to be conscious of what you're doing at the application layer, at the architecture layer, and all of that. Totally. Otherwise, you're just recreating the same evils as, as in the past. Yeah, that's the thing. And that's what I meant earlier with my statement about let's not take the half step back, because I think all too often, you know, we get just enamored by the new shiny right and it's just like oh this solves all my problems right so so all the problems are solved and and we'll just ignore everything and then you get you get 10 miles down that road and you start to realize oh well yeah it's a nice car but it only has one gas tank it doesn't have a second tank i was really used to that second tank it was nice to just get on e and hit the switch and keep driving by the way remember when trucks had two tanks <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't this wouldn't that be called micro evil well it's it's just it, yeah, it, it, per, perhaps right, but but I I think in this next step this could be very tricky, you know, because for instance we've got like Google out there talking about no ops and and just completely uh, being jerks, honestly, to a complete <laughs> half of this industry and pretending that they don't have skills and they're not necessary for for how how this stuff works, um, which is just complete 
bull. That's that's not the reality. You, you need both skill sets. Um, yeah, well, and it's it's funny, right? Because you know, microservices are uh, a lot of people are enamored with the concept of microservices and even service-oriented architecture, which has been around for twenty years, yeah. right? But it it introduces its own set of problems. Right, microservices, which is sort of the, in my opinion, the logical extreme of service-oriented architecture. Right? Now you're distributing the application across a larger number of nodes, and I, I was commenting or, or uh, communicating with one of our internal guys earlier this week or late last week about, you know, does this introduce performance issues? Right, and yes, there can potentially be, not because the individual service is slower, but because now I have to, you know. Instead of talking internal to the same, say it's a Java application, right? It's all one Java stack on one server where, you know, latencies are in the the nanoseconds. Now I'm having to cross the network two or three or four times. Well, it's also just like all the messaging code because now instead of just calling internal functions, like you've got all, it's all message buses and, and queues and, and how are you manage it. You need error correction on all of that stuff and you need unit tests on all of it. And, and just from my own anecdotal experience over the past 18 months, it's just like, yes, the stacks you build are way they, they they can just survive. They have an ability to continue to work in in scenarios that that where where everything else falls over and dies. Everything else breaks. Highly distributed microservices continue to run, and that part is wildly impressive. But building them is way harder. It's not even it's 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 like two different sports, man. It's like trying to compare football and baseball to me. Yeah, it, it's. It's not free, right? It's it's yeah. not a free ride. It's not a not a free lunch. It's not uh, freezing beer, right? Not yeah. freezing water. Yeah, it's not a panacea. Yeah, but but that's that's why stuff like the Docker Volume plugin for me it just gets me jazzed because that's where it can start to get interesting if we can seamlessly bring all of this stuff that we already know works and and we've already figured out. Like as an industry, we know when to use snapshots and when to use uh, array-based replication. We know when you know we need to to actually flip out to a different uh, format, you know, because because there's business rules that require that we can't just you know mirror the data in between the same operating system and all that jazz. All these rules that go into how we manage persistent data for the the forever, right? As an industry, we got a really good handle on that. What we don't have a really good handle on right now is how we get those business rules in the hands of the actual developers that are writing the code that runs our world. And things like the Docker Volume plugin give us a nice clean handoff. It's a demarcation point where the develop developer just comes up to the Docker Volume API, and as vendors, we 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 build up to that 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 same point, and that's our handoff. Right, so so we can ensure that whenever they do something, they're doing it with all of our best practices. And as they switch vendors or even platforms inside, you know, we're talking about on top E series and Solid Fire all have or will have support for this in in the near uh, future. As they switch in between those platforms, ensuring that these capabilities just kind of seamlessly flop in and out uh, with whatever implementation that 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 particular product has, that just it makes complete sense to me. Yeah, and there's a there's a tremendous amount of things that we have planned over the next you know six to eight months of as NetApp's own manageability products mature and add features that we can take advantage of um, you know as as our uh, you know our my Barnacle team right our Docker Volume plugin and the other integrations that we're working on as they mature so it's it's definitely getting 
interesting. Uh, it's getting a lot more, a lot easier for everybody involved, I think. All right, Justin, I, I accidentally stole like 20 minutes of the show this morning at the top. Um, I just found this very interesting. No, that's fine. That's good because I had nothing else. Oh, really? <laughs> we me- we mentioned NFS, so he was happy. Okay. I heard you say NFS, and I, I beamed, and then I then I went back to playing solitaire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so so uh, while you were out and about in between your vacations, uh, while you were still keeping it weird in the land of... Food coming in trucks. Tacos and barbecue. Yeah, tacos and barbecue all found in a truck that used to belong to U-Haul at one point in time. Did you get any Gordos, donuts? No, but I will say, so uh, uh, Tuesday, the the conference event at OpenStack Summit was held on Rainy Street. And on Rainy Street, there is a, uh, a little area that yeah. has some food trucks, including one called the Art of Tacos. That was just amazing. Um, well, yeah. I, I think we went back there like three times. I was salivating over David Kane's Twitter feed as he was just sending... Just endless streams of photos of the food in Austin. Yeah. So and between course, that and, and clips of Andrew just getting his ass kicked in in full size Jenga, that that those were endlessly entertaining <laughs> as well. Hey, those uh, that was a uh, uh, more challenging than you would expect. The uh, blocks were ever so slightly sticky. Oh, were they? Because yeah. the paint. I guess. Uh, so I, at one point during the week, we had somebody brought baby powder or something like that, so it got better. But yeah, early in the week, it was it was a challenge. You sure it was the blocks? And then Sam, every time uh, the, it started to tip over, Sam was like a linebacker and just plowed it over. And I and, could totally yeah. see Samantha doing that. It's pretty good. Just just running in from the side, Tiffany. <laughs> All, All right. right, so um, Andrew was indeed in OpenStack Summit, and we can prove it because we have audio. We do. <laughs> we do. Okay. Um, so we're going to go ahead and go to that, play that audio interview. Uh, actually, Andrew, if you want to set it up for us, what, what, what all was going on here? Yeah, so the last day of OpenStack Summit, um, or, or the majority of OpenStack Summit, there was still a day of the uh, 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 design summit left. So it was Thursday evening. Uh, I managed to grab uh, Rob and Brendan because they were nearby. I could not find any solid fire people, which was rather disappointing. But we went downstairs uh, at the hotel and commandeered a a conference room. Uh, We got several strange looks as we were sitting in there, but you know, whatever. Uh, So we commandeered a conference room and spent about 20 minutes just reviewing the conference, right? The things that they felt coming out of it. Um, So Brendan, who is is very humble, uh, kind of manage the presence as a whole, right? So he helped coordinate all the booth. He helped coordinate all the demos. He did a lot of the dry runs with all the people who had sessions, right? So he was involved in a lot of these things. Um, So seeing him happy with the show, seeing him satisfied with it, I think really means that um, it, it went really, really well. And then, of course, Rob, who is is on the board for uh, OpenStack and, and all that other stuff, right, getting his perspective as somebody who he, he was tied to the NetApp conference rooms, meeting customers, meeting, you know, doing OpenStack things, right, yeah. all week, right? So he, the two different perspectives was really, really interesting. Yeah, and if you're interested, uh, it's Brendan Wolf and Rob Esker, and we actually did a podcast with them a while back. Episode 34, OpenStack Summit Austin Preview. Yep. All right, so if you want to listen to more from them, check out that episode. But for now, we're going to go ahead and go to the audio interview of the post-OpenStack Summit Austin. All right, hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. So today is Thursday, April 28th, and it is, uh, well, late afternoon because we have finally, after four exhausting days, finished out the main part of OpenStack Summit here in Austin, Texas. 
So it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. I have spent way, way, way too much time on my feet. Although I have to say that uh, I was we were fortunate enough to be able to wear comfortable shoes in the booth this year. Uh, no dress shoes. Thank you, Brendan, who happens to be sitting to my right. So welcome, Brendan Wolf. Thank you very much. Yeah, happy to have you here, and uh, congratulations on finishing out the show. I know that you put a lot of put a lot of work into this. Our biggest show ever. Um, a lot of planning went into this. We had a lot of support from uh, other people on the team, and uh, you know, four days went by pretty quick. Everything went off without a hitch. Everybody knew what they needed to do, and um, I think that NetApp stands as a taller brand in the ecosystem than it did at the beginning of the week, and I think we should all feel proud about that. Yeah, you know, I'll have to say that you know this is my second OpenStack Summit. The first one being last year in Tokyo, and. Uh, not that you didn't do a fantastic job managing the booth, but uh, I'm glad that you had help this time because it was even more chaotic. So uh, on on my other side is Mr. Rob Esker. So welcome, Rob. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. So Rob, I know you're uh, you're uh, amongst other things associated with OpenStack. You're not only our product manager, but you're also our uh, representation on the board. So. Uh, I, I'm much like me uh, because I was pulled off in 900 different directions. I'm sure you were pulled off in nine trillion different directions this week. So how was it? Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, so the, if those aren't familiar with the, the format, there's a conference, more of a sort of a traditional sort of uh, show floor, exhibition floor. Uh, there's sessions, conference sessions, uh, panels, if you will. And then simultaneously, there's a design summit, which is where the development community comes together on a per-project basis and then collaboratively cross-project to decide upon the direction for the next release. And so those are things that are happening simultaneously. And I keep getting asked, well, how, how are those things going? And I'd love to find out because I've been, uh, <laughs> I've been meeting with customers and board, board meetings and trust and whatnot. Uh, analysts all, all week long, so um, being a little bit flippant, I've been able to you know dip in here and there. I think it's been really interesting to see. I've been I've actually lost count, but I, I think um, this might be my 13th or something like that summit at this point. I've been involved in the community since close to the epoch of the of the project, and uh, it's, it's every time over, you know, that much larger. This one's like I think 7,500, 8,000, something to that effect. Um, and the character of the crowd is, is changing. So it's not strictly development focused. There's a lot of deployers out there and it's not just like prospectively, it's folks who are starting to tell the community about how it's going, what they already have underway. Telcos in particular are all over the place talking about network functions, virtualization. Uh, diverse use cases are OpenStack, so that's also interesting to see. It's not just telcos. Like the scientific working group was just started this time around. Yep, I saw their first meeting going on I was, as I was walking by. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I'm not even sure where to start with the answer to that question. I guess uh, it's been broad. It's going to take me a while to absorb the whole of it, but um, very, very positive event, I think, is the vibe. Yeah, and you know, it's funny you said that it's changing from not just being a developer events, um, you know, a consumer of OpenStack or a runner or a, a builder of OpenStack, if you will. Um, I think I saw that there was almost a third simultaneous conference and that there was a small operation specific track, um, you know, almost a peer to the develop or the design summit uh, that was happening this time. So it's, it's definitely growing a lot, um, even just from the handful of years that I've been keeping up with OpenStack Summit, it's, it's gotten to be substantial. 
Yeah, I'm, I guess I'm bit, I was remiss in, in failing to mention the operator semi-truck, but that is that is a big deal. Um, they also hold mid-cycle meetups, and you know that's a growing community unto itself. So yeah, very encouraging to see. Yeah, I was I was joking with uh, Mr. Chris Chris Gebhardt, uh, who sits right next to me in RTP, who's our VDI specialist, and he's been saying it's the year of VDI since I think 2009. <laughs> uh, so you know, I was saying, well, maybe we should start saying it's the year of OpenStack and just see if if that sticks. And right. See what happens there, but. Yeah, this, the sessions, I was able to drop into a couple of sessions. Uh, some of them were really, really good. Good. Um, you know, I've only been with NetApp for not quite three years now. Before that, I was a customer. And this really reminds me of some of the uh, mid-2000 years at VMworld. When I, was, uh, when I was a customer, I was at going to lots of sessions. Um, you know, lots of uh, really excited people about what's happening, right? They want to see how to implement. They want to see the, the in the weeds and all the details and stuff like that. Um, so I know, Brendan, you were you were kind of keeping up with uh, our guys. I think we had 17 sessions. <clears throat> I think in the end it turned out to be about 18 sessions, um, um, including some of the, the things that Rob was working on. And, and these are straight sessions. We also had uh, um, a presence on the Cube, which is a uh, web-streamed news-like interview with uh, Mark uh, uh, Bregman, our CTO, and Dave Wright, uh, the general manager and founder of SolidFire, our recent acquisition. So you can find that on the web. Uh, we also did a tech field day um, uh, across the street from the convention center. And so this was, um, I, I don't know, maybe about seven bloggers, influencers in the industry who had the opportunity to listen to and question uh, again, uh, Mark Bregman, our CTO, who outlined, out, uh, outlined our vision for the future of uh, NetApp becoming more platform-oriented. And then also Rob Esker, who's sitting here and talking about some of the, the new ideas that we have for uh, OpenStack development, as well as John Griffith, the um, uh, I, I think he's a principal engineer at SolidFire and um, original PTL of, of Cinder. So we had a lot of very public customer-facing, audience-facing uh, events where we got to not only present NetApp and our vision of how things should be, but also pre uh, present some best practices, some customer use cases, uh, encourage some conversations. Um, and that, that's where we really get engaged in the community. I, I was in the booth this week and I saw a heated discussion about the value and benefits of uh, putting a hypervisor inside of a container inside of a VM. And I, I know I've repeated the story to you because I thought it was very funny. I, I'm not really sure what the point of that is, but it seems to be quite controversial. Yeah, that, that seems, I, I can't tell if that's an inception or a chicken Indeed. before the egg or a, yeah, that's... Or an infinity mirror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I have not gotten as many sessions in this week as I, as I would like. Uh, definitely better than you know, some of our other, other conferences. Uh, Insight, I think I spend more time presenting than I have hours to attend. Uh, but I, I know I was in a couple that were just just packed. There was one in particular where uh, we had both a NetApp, one of our, our developers uh, that's been with NetApp, working with NetApp for a number of years, as well as uh, a, one of our newer SolidFire guys. Uh, well, I guess new to NetApp, not new to SolidFire. They were talking about Cinder, Cinder DR and Cinder Failover, and you could not get into the room. Both doors into the room were 10 deep. There was people sitting on the floor. It was, it was impressive. A lot of interest in the things that are going on. You know, I, I heard some interesting statistics this week. Besides the fact that this is a record attendance level, more than 7,500 attendees, <clears throat> I'm still waiting for the actual demographic uh, breakdown. 
uh, which usually comes on the last day of the event, so that'll come shortly. Um, but but there's some interesting numbers that were um, presenting during some of the keynotes. Maybe we can talk about some of that. One of them was that 50% of the Fortune 100 now deploy, not just are playing with, but they deploy OpenStack in some form somewhere in their organization. I thought that was huge. Um, and when you look at that, and then you think about how NetApp is the number one uh, provider of OpenStack store, commercial provider of OpenStack storage, um, combined with um, our presence at the show, the number of customer meetings that we have, I think this is going to be a really exciting uh, fiscal fiscal year 2017 for our company. We're going to see a, a lot of uh, aggressive action from our group, and it's going to be an exciting time. Yeah, and so Rob, you know, with the statistic that he was just mentioning, I'll, I'll kind of, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, right? What, what do you think has been the uh, the driving force behind that, right? What is, in the last, you know, 12 months, in the last 24 months, there's been a significant increase in the pace of adoption from the, the statistics, the reporting I've seen. Do you think that there's anything in particular that's driving that? So it's a maturation cycle. Um, you know, part of it is that it is definitely a function of maturation. Um, one thing to note, OpenStack's not one project, it's many projects. And you know, there's different distinctions of, of core or otherwise. You know, there's this big tent, if you will, uh, um, from, for which new technologies and capabilities services can, can be developed. But it's important to evaluate each of those individual projects and in sort of its own timeline. And if you, you know, sort of buy into the Gartner hype cycle of innovation, for those that aren't familiar, you have a peak of expectations followed by a trough of disillusionment, followed by a slow ramp towards productive use. And uh, on a per project basis, you know, you, you, I think you, there's this progression you have to walk through. Now, a number of these things that you know, started five and a half years ago are well understood and characterized and you know, can be deterministically employed and for that matter, there's enough polish um, uh, and automation around the actual deployment end of it, uh, that, that it makes sense for a wider base, mere mortals, if you will, to actually start accepting it, start, start using it gainfully. And then there's a, a, a collection of them that are somewhat more nascent, that aren't quite as far down that path. And by the way, this is not confined to OpenStack, but some of the other technologies that are typically sort of lumped in with it. Um, I think it's always been the case, there's been a strong motivation for the, the, the you know, the basic characteristics, the, ba the basics of what it promises, you know, and namely uh, something that's open, broadly supported by a, a sustaining community of, of vendors. So, you know, use your, you know, networking technology of choice or your storage underpinning of choice, albeit in a way that allows you to address perhaps multiple vendors through a, a common control plane. And for that matter, actually employ you know one vendor versus another for for you know what's the most appropriate choice uh, for the application workload versus incumbency, for example. So I'm kind of leaning, or I guess I'm hinting towards uh, a desire to avoid lock-in. Uh, you know, so that's the, just let's be clear. That's a, certainly a strong motivation in coming to open in the first place. Is it's not that I don't seek to derive the value of the proprietary thing, but I also need an escape hatch. And, and so OpenStack has, has had that promise. The question has been, or the rub has been, is it ready? Is it, is it something that I can consume? The distributions are playing a big role in making it consumable. It's still not the case that, you know, Ma and Pa need to go like, you know, derive OpenStack from upstream, you know, and you know, roll their own. Not a great idea, probably. 
Um, but you know, uh, the, it's getting closer to the point where I think the mass market could expect to, and I'm not really sure I'm ready to declare it fully there, but like I said, getting closer to the mass market, expect to use one of the distributions and, and make it work, make it tick. Um, the really interesting model that's also evolved of late are, and there's probably a, four or five different examples of this. So mm -hmm. if I exclude anyone, I apologize. But example, for example, Cisco MetaCloud, or now called MetaPod, uh, IBM Blue Box, uh, Rackspace's OpenStack Everywhere program. You know, there's a, like I said, a variety of other examples of this where you can take the promise of OpenStack, deploy it on your prem or not, get it hosted if you want, uh, on your gear or not, but you get an operational cloud and they handle the, the management lifecycle, you know, the deployment, the care and feeding, patching, upgrading, so and so speak. And what you get functionally is an operational cloud. Um, and that abstracts some of the complexity of OpenStack. So that's been another critical sort of, you know, de uh, derivation. That's been another option that's emerged that I think is probably attracting folks to the platform. Yeah, I'll say, you know, I've been tangentially involved or aware of OpenStack for a number of years. and. Uh, e even to the point where last year I was uh, I was taking little digs at OpenStack and and the install process that's associated with it, um, you know, which has always been a particularly, I don't want to say cumbersome, but I will say complex, and that's something that's definitely changing. So uh, we weren't able to track down any of our solid fire brethren uh, in order to to set up this particular recording session. They all are. They were pretty popular this week, as we expected. There was a lot of people coming by the booth. Um, asking you know about about solid fire about their technology uh, i think i even heard one person come by and say oh solid fire you you bought netapp you know what's what does that mean and, uh, yeah that was that was a, a rather interesting moment at, at the uh, booth but uh, so how how is your perception of you know solid fire and data on tap and e-series and how, how's that working inside of uh, the customer base yeah so um i actually Love to speak to it. I know Brennan the same, I, I, I believe. Um, you know, both of us are responsible for the entirety of our portfolio, now inclusive of Solid Fire. So, um, I mean, it's been a very positive addition. Um, it's, they, you know, carry a lot of weight and prestige within the community. You know, Solid Fire unto itself did, and that's been brought into uh, the relationship with NetApp, where we had ourselves, you know, expressed, I think, strongly leadership in a variety of different aspects, certainly amongst the deployer base. As evidenced by you know the OpenStack Foundation user survey saying, hey, you know, ONTAP is the most widely deployed of the Cinder, you know, commercial you know capabilities out there, and SolidFire gaining you know gaining percentage points against the against the whole, uh, and that's you know the combined two were easily um, you know the number one provider. Um, you know, most of us have have kind of known each other within the community for a long while, so it's kind of funny. Uh, Taking what was once a very friendly but you know slightly competitive uh, relationship, and now you know sort of riffing in you know or, or harmonizing rather, uh, no real hiccups there. I think um, one of the major points I I, I definitely like to underscore is that Sapphire is a, a bright and shiny new addition to the NetApp portfolio, and it brings us capabilities in places that we didn't necessarily have as much strength. But you know, when you look at the whole of the portfolio, all of the options that we've been able clustered on tap, E-Series, uh, Storage Grid WebScale as an alternative Swift endpoint, Altavault for, for cloud backup, um, on-command insight, 
the, the, it's a broad portfolio. We think the broadest overall, in, and I would argue also deepest portfolio integration from anybody in the storage and data management space. And it's, it, it's tucked in really, really well to that. And I think maybe, you know, perhaps it's the case, another example, much like peanut butter and jelly, where the, or perhaps <laughs> is it chocolate and peanut butter, where, the, where the, the effect is greater than the sum of the individual parts. No, I, I think it's, I, I agree, right? It's been a, a really tremendous addition. Um, I think both portfolios, both companies complement each other really, really well. Uh, so uh, la last thing before we end here. Um, so Brennan, the next uh, OpenStack Summit is in Barcelona. Barcelona, any, yes. Any any thoughts, any preview, any anything that we're looking forward to in Barcelona, aside from the beautiful weather and amazing food? So, um, if, if you don't know, every year in the spring, OpenStack Summit takes place somewhere in North America, and then in the fall, it alternates between um, Europe and APAC, Asia. Um, and so the last one was in Tokyo uh, in the fall, and the next one is going to be in Barcelona. So, as we look towards Barcelona, we're, we're thinking about our European partners and our European customers, and thinking about the, the work that we've been doing in the community around things like Manila and, and containers and, and, and some other technologies like that, and how do we connect it very clearly to that, to, to that audience. So um, as we work towards the summit, and planning started before this one even happened, um, I'm talking to our European teams trying to find those, those, those customers that we're working with to tell those kinds of stories. Um, integration work, you know, was going to continue to happen as we we uh, uh, lead up to that event. Um, so it's going to be pretty exciting. It's going to be a, a great city, uh, a, a beautiful venue, um, and and I think everybody's going to have a good time and learn a lot, and and um, uh, we'll get another notch in our belt. I I hope so. I'm looking forward to going back to Barcelona. I've done a couple of VMworlds there. Um, there's like I said, some amazing food. Uh, I, I hear the sangria is good if we talk to uh, some of my teammates on the VMware side of things. So uh, looking forward to that. Right. So, so probably one of, the, one of the things that we are going to be working on aggressively over these next uh, six months is going to be very um, container focused. Uh, people may have heard we released the uh, NetApp Docker volume plugin, the NBVP. This is available on GitHub. I think it got released last week. This is a first heard for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to be hearing a lot more from us about that. Yeah, I, I know, uh, you know, all, all kidding aside about the NDVP or, or Barcelona itself, um, there's a tremendous amount of work that's going into that. So, um, and not just from, from my perspective, but from the whole team. And really looking forward to the next six months and then showcasing all of that hard work uh, when the time comes. Definitely. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Uh, fantastic week, Rob. I know you're you're an Austin native here, so you're. Yeah. It's time for you to get home, get back, and see the see the family and all of that. So, we won't hold you hostage in our uh, commandeered conference room here in the hotel. <laughs> so, uh, I I haven't we haven't been kicked out yet. So, but thank you, gentlemen, so much, and uh, we will see you in the very near future. Thank you very much. All right, Andrew. That sounded like it was a fantastic show overall. What do you think? Uh, it really was. Uh, you know, the, the the traffic in the booth was really, really good. We got a lot of questions. Um, you know, I, I kind of chuckled because I think one person came up to the booth and said, oh, SolidFire, so you, so you guys bought NetApp, um, which was kind of kind of funny. Womp, womp. But, uh, yeah, so lots of really good, uh, really good interaction. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to walk around through the show floor. I met several of our partners. I made several uh, new uh, connections with some of our 
uh, existing partners. Um, so it, for me, at least, I think the show was really, really good. Uh, so for NetApp as a whole, I think the show was great. Um, you know, fantastic participation. All of our sessions had good attendance. Um, and all of those are uh, OpenStack Summit publishes all of the sessions to YouTube. So anybody can go and look at the sessions and check them out. Uh, there was one that I tried to get into that was on Cinder DR failover that uh, with Ed Belduff and uh, 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 Alex Mead. Uh, so that was you could not get within 10 feet of the door. It was so packed. Uh, so lots of really, really good, uh, not just participation, but feedback as well. That's pretty cool. Awesome, man. Well, if if we can, uh, let's let's try to uh, put some links in the blog post that we put we put up with this, uh, so the listeners can go find that post and and uh, get shortcuts to it. at least your session. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping that we will have a post on netapp.github.io in the very near future that will have links to all 17 or 19 of the netapp sessions. Even better. All right. Uh, so if uh, assuming that gets done, I will make sure to put that into the show notes. If it doesn't get done before this goes live, then uh, just keep an eye on netapp.github.io. Okay. Awesome. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap Podcast team, thanks for listening. We didn't have anybody else to thank. It's just us. That's true, actually. Yeah. You could you could have thanked us. I mean, it wouldn't yeah. kill you. Okay, thanks, guys. I thanks, said Justin. on behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, which is us. I guess I guess that's true. So, thanks, us. Incorporated. We are incorporated. <laughs> is it just me there's, that's getting off on this? Don't hurt yourself patting oh, yourself yeah. on the back. Our more. stock is dropping right now. It's plummeting. Liter- literally, us incorporated. Yes. Not, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>